pray before we begin, shall we? Lord, again, we thank you for our time together this morning, the fact that we've been able to come together and worship you, the most holy God, the God that, that has redeemed us by his grace and his grace alone. And Lord, as we come to this awesome passage, this passage that is almost the greatest in the entire Bible, I pray that you would help me to communicate clearly the greatness that is in this, in this passage, the, the wonderful message of your good news. I pray that you would bless this time to us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. When, you've, when you're building a house, can I have my slide up, Peter, please? Yep. There it is. When you're building a house, you make sure that you get the foundation right. Builders know this, carpenters know this, plasterers know this. If the foundation is not right, then the entire house can be out of square, out of level and, and not straight. And this is pretty much what Paul has been doing throughout the first three chapters of, of Romans. He's been getting the foundation right so that the good news is, is level, is true, is good. We've spent the last three sermons working through this section that spanned Romans 1.18 to 3.20. And these 64 verses contain nothing but the bad news that we're un utterly unrighteous. And he's constructed an airtight case that every human being who has ever lived or will ever live is under the weight of sin. This inescapable conclusion is, is not that we're only guilty, but that we're absolutely helpless hopeless in other words we're born into this world enslaved into sin we're in a desperate situation and the intent of God and the intent of Paul is to not just not just to make us feel bad it's to make us feel desperate desperate enough to wrestle with the question of how can a person be righteous before God as we break into this passage, this good passage, where the good news starts, I just want to outline a couple of things. We see that God's righteousness is revealed through his word first. There's a great chasm that, that exists between Romans 3.20 and Romans 3.21. It's a huge canyon, a wide gap separating our condition and God's character. We're sinful and God is holy and righteous. How can we bridge this gap? How can we go from one side to the other? We simply can't. And as I said, this is where the good news begins. Are you glad that the good news is finally here? This is where Paul informs us that God does what we cannot do. 
And as I've said, this is likely the greatest passage in the entire Bible. And Paul begins with a but now. This is likely the biggest but in the Bible. Paul says that in light of what I have just said, and in light of what God has done in the past, God has now revealed himself and his righteousness in a new way, in a better way than than he has ever done before. God has revealed himself to humanity in a new way because before... All humanity had was the natural revelation of God in creation and how things worked and how they were made. Romans 1.20 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So man, they are without excuse. All of humanity can see God's righteousness through what has been made. And and on top of that, as we saw in chapter 2, the Jewish nation gets an added benefit of the word, the law and the prophets. These also testify to God's righteousness and goodness. The righteousness of God has been spelt out piece by piece in the Old Testament. The righteousness of God is is quite visible in the Old Testament. The Old Testament also points to the the coming of Jesus as the fulfilment of God's righteousness. And there's no difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament here in Romans. But now... The righteousness of God has been shown in a new way that is different to how it has been shown before. This is a huge turning point in history. And the turning point that Paul is, is, um, is implying here is not this passage. The turning point in history is the cross, where God's righteousness was displayed. I've got to learn to keep up with my PowerPoint, haven't I? Yes. Okay, but, God, but now God's righteousness has been revealed in a new way. The second, second way that God's righteousness has been revealed is through his grace, by his grace. Verses 23 and 24 say that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, here's where the good news starts. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God's plan of salvation is is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God is revealed through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. And Paul uses this noun faith and the verb believe to emphasise the sole condition of God's righteousness. There are almost 200 verses that use the words believe or faith as the sole condition of, of salvation. 
But don't forget that we are saved through faith and not by faith. Faith is merely the means and and what is important is the object of our faith. If the object of our faith is Jesus Christ, then, then yes, we will be saved. I... I've told you before, I'm not a patient man. I'm also not a very faith-based man. And I'm entirely grateful to God that I'm not saved on the basis of my faith. Because my faith lets me down time and time again. Whereas Ephesians 2 verse 8 says that by grace you have been saved through faith. I'm saved by God's grace through my faith. God's grace will not falter like my faith does. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm having a bit of a hard time understanding this. Paul spent 64 verses proving that all humanity is, is stuffed, is wretched, is ruined, is hopeless and helpless. And now he's just saying that it's just by God's grace. It's just a matter of God's kindness and goodness being revealed to those who have put their faith in Jesus. It's that easy. It's that good. God's judgment is is upon us all and, and not just because of our bad deeds that we carry around with us. God's judgment is on us because of our sinful nature, our bent towards sin. And without Jesus, God's judgment would send us to a hell to be without his mercy forever and ever and ever and ever. I don't know whether you've ever heard the saying, God hates the sin but loves the sinner. I think this this saying robs the cross of its power. In order for the, the cross to have its full impact, its full power, we've got to stop saying this. God's judgment is upon us all. God hates those who do evil. That might shock you. Hate is is a bit of a strong word. Maybe I should use the word abhor. God abhors those who do evil. You're all sitting there like, where are you going with this, Dale? Psalm 5 verse 4 says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. God abhors those who sin. God abhors the evildoers because of their sin. And as Paul has hammered on, all of us are sinners. We fall short of God's glory and we will be judged will be held to account on the account of our sin. Verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Most of you will know Michael Jordan. 
He played for the, the Chicago Bulls um, back in the 90s, I think it was. And he holds the highest vertical jump record in NBA history. His vertical jump has been recorded at 48 inches, four feet tall. To put that into a perspective, are there any eight-year-olds in the room still? That's the average height of an eight-year-old child. Jordan is six feet, six inches tall, or 1.9 metres tall. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? It puts him six inches above the rim and he jumps four inches higher than LeBron James. He jumps 20 inches higher than the NBA average. Grant, can you jump that high? No, okay. But if the goal was to touch the roof of this building, Michael Jordan falls short every time. It's the same with us as well, but in the area of righteousness. We fall short of the glory of God. Yes, God loves sinners. Yes, God abhors sinners. And God's righteousness and his wrath come together on the cross. His righteous judgment upon sinners and yet his righteous love for sinners come together on the cross that's God's grace that's the mystery and the scandal of the cross that that a holy and righteous God can abhor sinners and hate sinners and yet a holy and righteous God can crush his son in order to love sinners That's where we are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is such an important verse that we need to pull it apart word by word. The word justification means to declare righteous, to be made right with God. And it's used some 15 times in Romans. Justification means to declare righteous, to declare good in the eyes of God. And on the account of the person and work of Jesus Christ, we are declared as good by God through faith. Justification is instantaneous. God makes a judicial declaration that this person is is more than not guilty before he makes his judgment. The person who believes in Jesus receives all the benefit of Jesus' person and work by God's grace and not on the basis of their faith. Through faith. Our justification was achieved by Jesus on the cross. God's righteousness was revealed in a new way by Jesus on the cross where his grace and his mercy were poured out on sinners like you and me. But Jesus didn't just 
just take our sin as if it was something outside of us. As if it was a, a bag that we carry around with us of, of bad, bad luggage. He went to the cross and endured the full and holy wrath of God and holy righteousness of God in our place. He endured that on himself in our place. Do you get this? But now, through the sacrifice that Jesus has made on our behalf, those who have placed their faith in Jesus have been made right with God. We have been justified. The second word there that we look at is redemption. The action of regaining or gaining a possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. Our redemption was achieved for us at at an enormous cost to God. A huge cost to God. It cost God his son in order to bear the entire weight of the sin of the world. And the whole wrath of God upon that sin. Jesus was crushed and pierced for our sake. Isaiah 53.5 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. I don't think we grasp the size and the scope of God's grace, do we? Our human minds can't comprehend it. We hear it so often, we're saved by grace through faith. But do we really stop and think about it? Do we really stop and think about how huge that is, how enormous that is? That God was willing to pour out his wrath upon his son for the sake of the sins of man. That Jesus was willing to endure the cross and the pain and the agony and the bloodshed. And more than that, the, the entire wrath of God the Father so that many would be able to come to him. Finally, God's righteousness is revealed in his justice. I love words ending in T-I-O-N. Propitiation. And Jody, you said it with confidence, therefore that's how it's pronounced. (laughs) The word propitiation carries with it the basic idea of appeasement or satisfying particularly towards God or atonement. Our sins have been atoned for. But Jesus took on the wrath of God for our sake. That he died in our place. A couple of weeks ago I was talking with a, um, a little four-year-old. She's, I won't mention names because she's here in the church. Um, and she was pleased to show me her Bible. As a little kid's Bible, obviously four-year-old, it's not like this. 
It had the stories of creation and the flood and, and through to Mary and Jesus and, and then the cross. And, and this little girl said to me, that's where Jesus died. That's the cross that Jesus died on. Obviously, it's not the very cross, but I didn't correct her on that. I said, why did Jesus have to die? And plain and simple, she said, God didn't want us to die. So Jesus died in our place. So simple and yet so profound. God didn't want us to die, so Jesus died in our place. We have been justified through Jesus being the propitiation for our sins, for him dying in our place, him taking on the the entire wrath of God that was due us, that we were guilty for. Jesus died in our place. And God, the just judge, has has made those who have placed their faith in Jesus justified. God is the justifier of those who place their faith in Jesus. It's just if I'd never sinned. For the sake of God's holy name, he has made me just if I'd never sinned. And it's not as if God has amnesia or something like that. He, he knows everything. But he justifies us, us by keeping no record of wrong against those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. David Platt tells a, a, a cool story about a certain wealthy Englishman who bought, bought a Rolls Royce. These start at $200,000. And it's tagged as the best car in the world, the, the car that never breaks down. This wealthy Englishman bought, bought this Rolls Royce and was taking it for a test drive, as you do through the countryside of France, when it did break down. And the man rang Rolls-Royce and he said, this, this car you've sold me that never breaks down, well, it has. So Rolls-Royce put a mechanic on a plane, sent him to France, sent him out to the man, and he fixed his car. And so the man continued driving through the countryside of France, thinking, when I get home, there's going to be an enormous bill for me because it's not very often that a mechanic comes to you to fix your car. Well, weeks followed and the bill never came. So the man rang Rolls-Royce and, and said, I've got this bill, you sent out a mechanic to, to fix my car. I'm a wealthy man, I can pay it. The other, the, the, the other end of the phone, the reply surprised him. I said, I'm sorry, sir. We have no record of anything ever going wrong with your car. (laughs) 
to think that on the account of the suffering servant of Jesus Christ, God looks at your life and my life and he says, I have no record of anything ever going wrong with your life. How good is that? That is scandalous. God the righteous can love sinners in such a way that he can say, I have nothing ever going wrong and no record of anything ever going wrong with your life. We've been justified through the sacrifice of Jesus where he stood in our place, folks. He didn't just wash us clean of our filthy rags. He didn't just take away our little bag of bad deeds. He died in our place. He endured the whole full wrath of God. And God now keeps no record of wrong, of anything ever going wrong in our lives. When God the Father looks at those who place their faith in Jesus, he sees the sacrifice of Jesus and his holy wrath is satisfied because of that blood. Paul is using legal terms here, the justification and justified. We're accountable to God, folks, but on the account of of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. There is justification by God's grace through faith. Do you see how big the but now is? But now God's righteousness has been revealed in a new way. And Jesus continues to be our justifier, our defence. This is the good news. That God has done the very thing that we could not do for ourselves. That through faith in Jesus alone, by God's grace alone, we can be made righteous before God. By grace alone, through faith alone, we can be made righteous with God. We're going to come around the communion table in just a moment where we're reminded of that sacrifice. The sacrifice that didn't just wash us clean of our sins. It didn't just take away our bad deeds. It, Jesus died in our place. I can't stress that enough. that blood that was shed for our sake to appease the wrath of God, the body that was broken where we should have been broken. We're going to, Carissa's going to do a, a small item, Carissa and Grant, and um, Today's service is going to finish a little bit different than, than most. There will be no song to finish with. 
But I invite you, if, if you haven't been made right with God, thank you. If you haven't been made right with God, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I invite you to do this this morning because now is the time. If you would like to recommit your life to God, now is also the time to do that this morning. If the, the communion stewards would come forward, please.